Welcome to the Faith and Mental Health Podcast. My name is Kelsey Newsom. I work as a macro social worker in West Michigan. And I'm Bruce Vendrager. I work as Executive Director of Pastoral Services for an organization in West Michigan called Hope Network. Together, we are the hosts of the Faith and Mental Health Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bearing Hope, a collaborative group made up of the Christian Reformed Church in North America, the Reformed Church in America, Hope Network, Pine Rest Christian Mental Health Services, and the Mental Health Foundation of West Michigan, Be Nice. We believe, particularly now, it is vital to begin conversations about mental health and faith. Together, we will explore questions and topics about leadership while also maintaining mental health, leading others who are new to understanding mental health, parenting through mental health, and so much more. We are concerned about thoughtfulness around mental health as it relates to all aspects of life and faith. Welcome to the Faith and Mental Health Podcast. So in this episode, we really just want to dig into who we are and what we're doing. Um, And so Bruce and I invited two members of our planning team to join us, Lisa and Christy. Would you each introduce yourselves for us? Christy Buck, Executive Director of the Mental Health Foundation of West Michigan. Reverend Dr. Lisa B. Taylor, Manager of Pastoral Services and CPE Educator at Pine Rest Christian Mental Health Services. Each of us on the planning team, which is made up of um, different denominational leaders, faith leaders, community organizations, mental health organizations. So we've all kind of agreed on an end product here, but I'm sure we have different ways of articulating what this is and why it's important to us. So I'm wondering if each of you would be able to kind of just quickly summarize your view on what this is and why it's important. You know, it's been quite an honor to be part of this, our planning team and just part of the committee in general. And what we have come to find out through the past um, up to four years that we've been working together is a greater understanding that we've got to get to the masses somehow to create more of an understanding surrounding mental health, surrounding mental illness and ultimately preventing suicide. And so when it comes to, we know this for a fact, when it comes to faith leaders, they play a really important part in people's journey through life with mental health. And so more awareness and understanding, we've got more people on board. Um, We're really excited that we launched it here in West Michigan because we have so many diverse churches here diverse faith organizations. And um, I I love that we're able to gather together to make it one system, to make it one approach. Chrissy, thank you. Well, for me, I'm a part of this because mental health matters. And working here at Pine Rest, first as a chaplain, um, there was a lot of stigma around mental health. And our patients would be ashamed of um, having mental health diagnosis. And so I did a lot of work around acceptance. However, I realized that this work needed to flow over into the community because churches have members who are living with and dealing with mental health, whether it's their own personal diagnosis or a family member. And so I wanted to come to this work with that kind of understanding. I also understood that the African-American community is underserved in this work. And pastors um, are not so aware maybe 
and maybe even educated and resourced. So I wanted to be a part of that conversation and making some different things happen there. We have used the word um, stigma that's associated with with mental health um, and misunderstandings uh, about that. And that's one of our goals is to uh, is to change some of those misunderstandings, to educate um, and to, um, yeah, to stop the stigma. So what, in your opinion, what have been some of the maybe the more common misunderstandings within faith communities about mental health and why it hasn't been um, quite as open or addressed as freely? I think oftentimes in faith communities, many times people think you can pray something, pray this away, and that would be, or that you don't pray hard enough. Um, Those are a couple things. Then in addition, um, there's a great myth surrounding the ability to possibly shake it off. And so when it gets down to this great understanding, I know that people just need to even start to just talk about mental health really simplistically. And that is that we all have mental health and that mental health is good because this is our brain and our brain in action, our mind. Um, And sometimes, right, it can be unhealthy just like any type, anything else in my body, something can become unhealthy. But because the word mental is connotated so many times with just different things, um, people right away, they steer clear of something like mental health, mental illness to talk about it. So, you know, um, stigma causes a lot of pain, a lot of embarrassment, a loss of self-esteem, how people get treated. Um, When we're talking in front of people, how we talk about mental health, mental illnesses can be quite devastating for those who either are experiencing the illness or have a loved one that is experiencing the illness. And so changing our language and our thinking is, I think, the most important piece. And so at the Mental Health Foundation, we know that our job really is surrounding that and it's having a greater understanding in all the silos, uh, especially the faith communities though, because I'm gonna repeat what I said, that is oftentimes where people come first for help. So acceptance, respect, dignity are the words that come to my mind when we are talking about mental illnesses. And I agree with Christy that um, it's people saying you need to pray more or you haven't prayed enough or you don't have enough faith. And I think also that there's a shaming component. Um, This stigma, when these things are said, people feel ashamed. I think there's also an isolation component because when people say you need to pray enough, you haven't prayed enough or you don't have enough faith, um, people feel isolated from God, from community. And it puts people at a disadvantage because we thrive in community. And I also would say if one in five people in America have a mental illness diagnosis, then that means that one in five members in a church have a mental um, illness or diagnosis. And that also includes pastors and clergy. And so we need to break the silence. That's what I would say, because people are suffering in silence around this. 
And we need to do more about it. And I think that major component as it relates to the stigma is to help clergy and lay leaders understand that um, this is normal. Mental illness is normal. And for me, I think um, I have a story where my neighbor, um, this was her daughter's now 22 years old, but I became aware of mental illness when my neighbor's daughter was seven years old and she lived right across the hall. And I realized that her mother had a mental illness diagnosis and she was not taking her medication. And so I think what we as people and clergy and members of communities need to do is get involved. And so I couldn't just say, oh, something's wrong with her. I got involved. And I'm thankful that we had been building a relationship before then because I literally became her daughter's mental, I became her daughter's legal guardian for a year and a half. And so I had to educate myself so that I can be an advocate for her daughter and also an advocate for her. And so I think that's where this passion that I have runs deep. These are people and they're hurting and we need to empathize with them because it could be us or somebody in our family. I think this conversation is so interesting, especially when we're talking about prayer um, and how we, if we're talking about mental health just from a faith, like a narrow faith perspective, we tend to stop there and we don't realize that the answer to prayer might be a therapist, might be medicine, or it might be your neighbor being your legal guardian. Like There are so many ways that God might provide an answer to that prayer that isn't just taking the problem away. And, you know, I, I just love to go back to relating to a physical illness. And so we know at, um, it's just amazing oftentimes how people take to Facebook or they take to um, social media in general and ask for prayers for a physical illness, right? So right now you're seeing it all the time with people that are dealing with COVID or relatives that have COVID. And making it that easy to be able to talk about um, mental illness and to say prayers, right? And again, I think it goes back to Kelsey, what you were saying that praying that there's good treatment and praying that the treatment I am is going to have good results. I mean, just there's such amazing things. Can you imagine hearing somebody pray for me for that? Just like you would pray for healing hands if I was going into surgery, right? Give this clinician the ability to help this person through these trials and tribulations that they're struggling with. Um, those are prayers, man. Prayers that treatment can be helpful to me. And seeing that there's there are resources to get treatment. So oftentimes that's the, that's the stuck point. And that's where I'm seeing our series right now that we're gonna be bringing to folks. We'll be able to uh, give resources right? But two, challenge our faith communities are going to be listening to the podcast to get on board and find resources in your local community from what you've learned in these eight podcasts. You are going to be challenged because there are resources, but it might take a little bit of homework. It might take a little bit of Googling, but this is a necessity. And when I think about um, prayer, Kelsey, I think about um, scripture. I've studied the prayers in the Bible. And when I studied these prayers, what was fascinating for me is that 
things didn't always come immediately. What happened was God gave instructions. And so what I love about this podcast um, series is that people can come here and find instructions. You were talking about how answer to prayer may come. Some of that is instructions. Some of that is your neighbor stepping in to help. Some of that is um, resources or whatever. Some of it is knowledge and wisdom that you did not have before. And so I'm hoping that people will come here to learn because I believe that these podcasts will kind of be didactic. There'll be teaching tools and resources that the faith community can use to gain awareness, but also educate themselves around mental illness and mental health. And some of those prayers um, weren't always safe either. They were pretty honest. Um, if you look through the Psalms, for example, and Psalm 88 being the classic example where it kind of starts in darkness and it ends there. It's the one one prayer that, you know, almost doesn't have any light to it. But that's the way um, many people in faith communities feel. And it's okay to to talk to God in that way um, and to uh, to bring even your darkest feelings to him in prayer because um, it's right there in the scriptures for us. And Bruce, I think the church has not done a good job in teaching people how to lament. Yes. That, that is key, how we can, you know, here at Pine Rest, I remember being on the Oak Unit. That's where patients have a diagnosis of um, schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And I would say, I wonder if you're angry with God. And so often people would be afraid to say that they were angry with God. And so I would say, you know, God already knows that you're angry with God. So you can tell God that you're angry with God. And so part of that was was teaching people that it's okay to be angry with God. Also teaching people that, you know, um, I think one of the the major things that happened for me in praying about how to care for people with mental illness was for me to to have this mindset is that people are more than their mental illness. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times with the stigma and even telling people to pray, we act like that's all the person is. We forget that they're created in the image of God. And so sometimes my prayer would be, oh, Lord, how do you look with mental illness? Now, some Christian and religious people might say, at least I dare you to say that. But if we're all created in the image of God and I'm praying about this, I need to be able to have God's ear about everything so that I can care for people with mental illness. And I train chaplains. So I need to be able to train chaplains to do this work. And and that's where it begins. Yes, we pray, but then we look for instructions and wisdom and we don't try to pull people out of the darkness. As chaplains, we journey with people in crisis. And I think sometimes faith leaders don't know how to do that. We're all about, you know, pulling people out, moving beyond Um, the crucifixion, not going into Holy Saturday, straight into the resurrection. But life doesn't happen that way. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be willing to get into the trenches with people when they're suffering. Typically in our Bearing Hope work, um, have done in-person seminars or trainings. um, And they've been in West Michigan and so we pulled an audience from West Michigan and so what we're we're hoping with this podcast was 
A, an option to do something when we can't meet in person. Um, but some of the, the things that this allows for now that we're looking at a, a virtual format, um, we're reaching more people or we're hoping to reach more people. This might not be only West Michigan. Um, this might reach more denominations than just the denominations that are involved in the planning. Um, and I think we, it, where at first we just wanted, you know, a plan so we could still do something, um, have now been able to name why it's so critically important that now we do something. So now being, um, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. I keep saying middle. I hope we're at the end of a pandemic, but we don't know. Um, now being like early 2021, where we just lived through a whole year that was hard on everyone. So what are you guys seeing um, that would kind of answer the question, why now? What is important now? What's the actual, like, can we take inventory of what the problems are that we're seeing today? Well, I think right now we are um, facing many more risk factors that could um, somebody could possibly at some point struggle with a mental health disorder right now, right? We're talking one in five, but ultimately um, the way life has changed so much in almost a year, it's just brought about more challenges. And these challenges are more isolation. Um, our jobs, if we have a job, changing, being different now, right? If I've lost my job, now I'm running towards financial struggles, family struggles. Um, we have more challenges in uh, being a parent. So now I am, right, forced to be not only a parent, but now also for parents, teachers. So many schools are not even back in school yet. Imagine that. I was just reading another article yesterday about the challenges of being a parent at home and trying to be a teacher also. So a lot of those things. In addition, a lot of death, a lot of fear and angst regarding this illness uh, because there are just so many, one, rumors, and then there's truths about the illness. So if you add all these to up together, it's much more stressful. And we know that stress that is not managed, that goes unmanaged, can lead to anxiety, can lead to depression. When things that I'm um, really unable to find any answers to and no hope and enter into the picture worthlessness, hopelessness, helplessness, then those are risk factors and warning signs for somebody who might be contemplating to take their life. So there was a study that actually Pine Rest Christian Mental Health Services did last May. And they also came out with some um, data to show that during pandemics, epidemics, rates of suicide go up. And so we, this is what we're gonna be doing. We need to be talking about mental health, but ultimately we need to be talking about when does it become an illness? Okay, because everybody just can't get on their phone and download an app that's going to tell me how to be more mindful, or maybe a church app that's going to tell me how to pray more and read this scripture, it'll help you, all right, and all of a sudden I'm facing, right, a psalm, darkness, what am I thinking? So it's really the big piece of this, you guys, right now, it's recognizing the onset 
when a mental health, okay, when mental health becomes an illness, and that's key. And not just saying, here, go download this app and you'll feel better. Go read this scripture. You're going to feel a lot better. Go to church more, right? And I would say that there's no easy fix to this. There's not. Um, People are feeling overwhelmed and powerless. And people are in need of a sanctuary in an asylum. I, I see that in the work that we do here. I tend to see Pine Rest as being a sanctuary for healing and health. Um, I love part of our mission statement is to express the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. And so we do that by providing excellent behavior health services. We do that by providing Christian integrity and compassion. And so people are in need of compassion right now. Um, people are looking for hope and they're seeking They're asking questions like, why is this happening to me? What's happening right now? Would this ever be over and done with? They're also seeking purpose and meaning in life. And there's been research that says that when people can understand why something is happening, it helps them to go through life and cope better. And so we may not always know why. But we can sit and we can listen to people in their struggles and their challenges. And I agree with Christy around um, seeing this as an illness. I remember sharing with a group when we were talking about the stigma of mental illness. I told them that I moved here to Grand Rapids in October of 2017. And before then, they were tracking my eyes for glaucoma. My mother has glaucoma. I'm a black woman. I was over 40 at the time. My pressures in my eyes were up. And I said, I came to Grand Rapids and I had been here for a month and a doctor sees me and he says, you have glycoma. I was shocked. I share with the group that nobody wants a diagnosis. We don't pray for these diagnoses. We don't ask for these diagnoses. We don't wish for these diagnoses. And yet here we are in life with these different illnesses on these different levels. And I share with them, you know, when the doctor showed me a natural healthy eye and an eye that had glycoma, I was still in shock. I was still grieving the loss of my sight right there in that moment. And then when he took me around to the desk for me to schedule an appointment, I was thinking, ain't nobody got time for this. I also said, look, I'm too sexy, slim, fine and trim for this. This is an old person's disease, okay? Not somebody my age. And so if we can relate to people who have this illness, based on the illnesses that we've experienced in life, based upon the diagnosis that we've experienced in life, we can cut down on some of this this stigma and we can create sanctuaries where people feel accepted and loved and cared for, regardless of what their illness is, regardless of what they're facing and dealing with in life. And I believe that the church and around faith leaders, whatever, whether it's a temple, a synagogue, a church, or wherever, I believe that people need to have a safe place where they can come and talk about these things and not have to feel ashamed of who they are and what they're living with right now and dealing with. So that's so good. I am thinking too of, um, oh, you said that's an old person's disease. (laughs) That's not not for me. Um, and it reminds me of like the part of this conversation where we keep wanting to count ourselves out. So for me, I am a mental health professional. 
And until last month, I worked for a church. I shouldn't be the one who's depressed, but I am. And so there's uh, this conversation that like we have built ourselves up to where we like we're stigmatizing ourselves, not just other people. And we're thinking that, you know, that this applies to other people, but it applies to us. And so, so much of this conversation is how we care for ourselves so that we can model that and turn around and care for others. And Christy, I want to thank you for your vulnerability. I think that's where it starts. We, we have to be vulnerable and you're transparent. I work for a church and here I was depressed. And that vulnerability, I think, is what we need because people feel um, afraid to share themselves and express themselves because they don't know how they're going to be received. And so thank you so much for your vulnerability and for sharing that with us. And I think that that's also what I'm hoping comes out of our Bearing Hope work, too, is that more congregants will come out to share stories and very similar, again, to illnesses, right, physical illnesses, um, when you have support from other people that have possibly experienced a similar illness, um, it becomes empowering that, you know what, healing is possible, uh, recovery is possible, and that's what lends most to um, to folks that actually have any illness, right? And that again, hope, hope and healing, recovery is possible. Good treatment, uh, just like we would talk about any illness. Yeah, and and Christy, what I love about be nice is that part about empowerment that we can empower hope, that we can be with people in in the midst of their struggles and empower them and, and walk alongside them. And I love the fact that you talked about sharing stories because our stories are so important. I remember years ago when um, Katrina happened and they talked about how the people were receiving some, some components of healing by just being able to have a place where they could share their stories. Mm-hmm. And if we could just, you know, that's why I'm going back to faith leaders and faith communities being a sanctuary where people can share stories, where people can be real and honest and raw about what's going on in their lives. And and I would also say where people can have conversations without gossip, because even some of the prayer groups, I'm just going to say this, even some of the prayer groups are gossip groups. So people need to be able to, to be able to come in and have conversations with confidentiality. That's very, very important because we, we want people to feel safe. We want people to have safe and brave spaces. And here in the work that I do, I call it sacred spaces where they can share their stories and share who they are. You keep leaving us speechless, Lisa, after your, after your passionate statements. <laughs> I'm passionate about this work. I never thought I would be working um, in mental health. And yet here I am. Um, And being here at Pine Rest, my first two years, I realized how much work it takes, how many organizations are involved, and that we need wraparound services. Families need wraparound services. And I'm I'm hoping that faith communities can be a part of, of that as we walk together and do this work. And, you know, I look often when people are wearing um, 
these awareness bands and it'll be, you know, what would Jesus do? You know, those were popular. They still are. Right. And when it comes to mental health, I mean, I always listen every Sunday to liturgy, to the sermon, to the reading, to the epistle reading for the day. And it's all about mental health. It's about how we're treating individuals. Right. And how every, Every Sunday, I get this message of, you know, for me that Jesus went out and found that person, right, that was struggling. And most of the time, it's how people were treating this individual, you know. The reading of Zacchaeus was a couple weeks ago, and it's like, he was a good guy, actually. You know, he was a tax collector, and everybody couldn't stand him, obviously, because he does a job that, you know, somebody's got to do it. But he was short, right? Probably picked on, but um, a, a good person that all of a sudden he's up in a tree watching, right? Just to be there in awe and watch what everybody else is watching and just gets picked out of the tree and says, get down here. I'm coming to your house for dinner. And you're just going, okay, man, isn't that what we all should be doing is reaching out to folks that, you know, maybe ostracized, maybe picked on maybe look down upon, you know, like Mary Magdalene. I mean, come on, people, right? What would Jesus do? It's like, that's what we all need to be doing. And a lot of times um, we shun people who might be thinking differently, who might be acting differently, who might be feeling differently. Um, That's when I really have to start reaching out and finding out, like, what's going on? What can I help you with? Instead of, keeping my distance because it's guaranteed that every day we come into contact with someone who might be struggling. Yeah. And Chrissy, I like to piggyback off of what you were saying. You were talking about reaching out, helping people. And so when I think about these sanctuaries of hope, I think about them being welcoming, inviting, and practicing hospitality. If we go back into the Old Testament, that was one of the things that the Jews were um, told to do to practice hospitality, to remember that they were one at one time slaves. And when I think about it, um, even my own self and my own faith, before Christ, I too, I was dead in sin, okay? And so if I can remember how I was isolated, if I can remember how I was um, estranged from God in a faith community, I think it, it would help us to be more welcoming and inviting and to practice hospitality, if we would become more relatable with people and what they're struggling with and going through. And so I love your um, example um, that you gave Chrissy about this man, because you made him into a person by painting a picture of what life may have been like for him. And I can empathize with that. I got I, I to gotta do it every Sunday. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got to leave with the message for the week. You know, it's been an amazing journey for me because we get into the public sector or in schools, right? And again, um, you just want to shake people sometimes and say, here, let's sit down with me right now. And I want to read a passage from the Bible. You know, obviously, um, my favorite, some of my favorite books are Acts because I just, I love, I just love St. Paul, right? And I mean, I just... You know, we got to just 
get out there and reach out as often as we can. Somehow Lisa and I were philosophizing about this last week when we were talking about what was coming up, you know, and even though some places I can't bring up God, right. Or rather Jesus Christ. Um, we all have a, we all have a job and that is to spread the word and that is to spread hope. That's what it is. Just want to encourage everyone today on episode one is to make sure you listen to all the other episodes of our podcast. Um, super grateful, extremely grateful to Kelsey and Bruce for um, being the moderators. It's quite a task with the audience and with the, the speakers in general. So as we're moving forward, I'm looking forward to possibly even more podcasts to come up. This is how we need to do it then we're going to do it. And I'd like to add to that. Um, I'd like to say to everyone who's listening to this first podcast, when you come here, come here with your pen and your paper. Come here to learn. Come here to study. Allow this to be a sanctuary for study for you and a sacred space where you can learn. We can get the knowledge that we need and the resources that we need. And I would say to every faith leader out there, one of the things that you can do is stop doing this solo. Invite the community to join you and learn from the community. Learn what resources are out there and available to you and your congregation so that you can do what's called referral. It would be a blessing for your life. Amen.